You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Amen. Please be seated. Let's turn to God's Word. We're going through the book of Isaiah, the latter part of it, and we've reached Isaiah chapter 49. And the first part of that chapter has been God saying to His people that He uh, basically, it's the day of salvation. He's come to rescue them. And we come into it at verse 14. Now, in a way, what this is about is about the heart, about your spiritual heart. Um, For those of you who are medics, I know that every time I use a medical illustration, you burst out laughing uh, because I usually get it wrong. So I hope this is right. Um, And for those of you who are not medics, I'm not a doctor. Don't trust me. Speak to somebody who actually is. But the heart's pretty important for pumping around blood. And One of the problems, a huge problem, is if blood is not getting into your heart. If you've got narrow or blocked arteries, you are in trouble. And that can cause, as some of us have experienced, uh, fainting and other kinds of difficulties, some much more serious. And what I want to suggest to you is that there is a kind of analogy there in terms of where we're at spiritually, Because some of us have become cold and narrow. And what's happened is, if you like, the flow of grace and God's love and mercy, it's kind of blocked. And there's a sense in which we feel that we have been forgotten. Now, in the passage you read, we're going to hear about Zion. And we've just sung about Zion and Jerusalem another name for Zion, or Zion's another name for Jerusalem. And in the New Testament, we read in Galatians that the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. So there's a paradox or something that's, that's going along as we look at this. It is about God's church, this church, and the church in this country, church throughout the world, but it's also about us, where we're at, and we pray that the Lord will, will help us. I think, this is, I think this is an extraordinary, beautiful, and wonderful passage. So begin, verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And what's happening here is there have been great words about redemption and salvation and the Lord uh, working amongst his people. And God's people here who've been taken into exile... What they're doing is they're going, really? You sure? Because that's not my experience. And some of you, you will hear things about God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. And even while you're going, amen, hallelujah, in your heart, you're saying, really? Really? You're kidding me. Because that's not my experience. That's not what I'm experiencing just now. Calvin says this, when God delays his assistance, we are frequently tormented and distressed, for we think that he has rejected and forsaken us. Thus despair quickly creeps in, which must be, de- be opposed, lest we be deprived of the grace of God. And it's an extraordinary picture that is uh, painted here because the image is of Zion being a mother who's lost her children. 
God has forgotten us. We are abandoned. We are in ruin. How could this possibly happen? We're heading, you get very depressed. Now, I tell you this, there's something wrong with you. You're not spiritual and really holy if you, if you lose something, if you lose a child, if you hear of a parent being severely ill, if things are going really wrong in your life, your own personal health. You're not spiritual if you go, oh, that's fine. God's in control. I can, I can cope. You're a human being, and so you will cry out to God. Why? How could this possibly happen? I, I was thinking about this, and as, as you know, I, I like reading John Flavel, and he was talking about how we have this double birth, that obviously we're born naturally and we're born uh, again, those of us who are believers. And just as we are born naturally, man is born to trouble as sparks fly upwards. You, you, look, I mean, it's wonderful. I just saw uh, Callum and Naomi come in and um, with their wee baby, just absolutely incredible. And it's great. But every child we baptize, we're going to baptize Ada just at the end of the service. And, you know, we're bringing children into the world, but we know that we're bringing them into a world which is full of disease. It's a world which is full of evil. It's a world in which there's so much difficulty and trouble that there are people who go, no way, no way am I bringing any child into this world. And then people say, okay, fair enough. But then when you're born again, when you become a Christian, then, you know, like life was downhill and then suddenly you become a Christian and everything's all the way up as you go to glory on a bed of ease. And those of you who are older Christians, in fact, some of you who are younger Christians, you know that's rubbish. You know that that's not true. Flavel says this, nor are we to expect freedom from these troubles until harbored in heaven. Oh, what a large catalog of experience does to the saints carry to heaven with them for their various exercises, dangers, trials, and marvelous preservations and deliverances out of them all. And yet all of those troubles without, he's saying, look, there's all this difficulty out in the world. If you like things that happen to us, there's, there's all kinds of external things. There's illnesses and flus and, and death and job losses and relationship troubles and so on. He said, yet there are nothing compared with the temptations, corruptions, desertions by passion and compassion within us. Besides their own, there comes daily upon them the troubles of others. Many rivulets fall into this channel and brim, yea, often overflow the bank. Many, says the psalmist, are the afflictions of the righteous. And so God's people will often say, Lord, have you forgotten me? I, I'm, I'm hearing I'm hearing about revival in China. I'm hearing about blessing in other people's lives. I'm looking at what's happening there. But what about my life? What about this church? Have you forgotten us? Have you forgotten the church in Scotland? Zion, um, when Zion says the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. Zion here is not so much the city, but the people who are identified with the city. Um, there are some of you, uh, usually well, I was going to say usually you're not born and bred. People slag Dundee a lot, which I think is really, really unfair. But there are some of you who are very proud to say, I'm Faye Dundee, and you're quite happy, and you, you'll wear the T-shirt and, and everything else. And people in Glasgow go, what, Dundee, don't be daft. People in Edinburgh, of course, they're on another planet as far as they're concerned. But Dundee, 
But it's, it, it's, it's an identification that people have. I'm from Dundee. And even if you're from Broughty Ferry, I'm sorry, it's Dundee. And, you know, Monifeith is not, apparently, but, but the ferry is. So, but, you know, you, you know how people are. You identify with a particular place. I'm a Belfast boy. I'm an Armagh girl. You know, I'm, I'm a London person, whatever. It, it's, this is what's being done here. People are identifying with the city. And the city here, primarily, is the heavenly city of Jerusalem. We are Christians. We belong to Christ. But at present, the glory of the heavenly city of Jerusalem is obscured from us. And sometimes we are worn out and sometimes we grow. We groan. Augustine says this, darkness increases and Jesus is not yet come. Darkness increasing, love waxing cold, iniquity abounding. These are the waves that agitate the ship. The storms and the winds are the clamors of revilers. Thence love waxes cold. Thence the waves do swell and the ship is tossed. Tribulations increase, calamities increase, sorrows increase. All these swell and mount up. See, you don't want to hear that. What you want to hear is about how God protects us and keeps us and everything is wonderful and every child that's born into this congregation will be super healthy for the rest of their days and every relationship will go well and everything will work out fine. And despite experience, over and over and over again, we are shocked when things don't work out the way that we had anticipated. The waves come in, the waves come in. Augustine goes on, by the way, to say this, Jesus passes treading upon the waves. But we'll see that in a moment. So the complaint is that God has forgotten me. And I know, just looking around, not because I know you, not because I know what's in your heart, but just even the number of people who are here, I know that some of you who are Christians, although you know that God doesn't forget in your head, in your heart, you really think God has forgotten me. And it's not wrong to think that sometimes either. Uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If the Son of God can say that, then I think sometimes we can feel it. And this is God's answer. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. It's an extraordinary picture because our circumstances make us question whether God has forgotten us. And God doesn't counter by saying, ah, yeah, but you see in your circumstances this and then in your circumstances that. And if you could see this, it's the character of God. And there are uh, three things, three pictures of God that are given in this. First of all, the mother. Because of who God is, God can no more forget us than a mother can forget the child at her breast. There is a tendency, uh, uh, sorry, a dependency. There are the ties of life. The suckling is always there. Who can forget her? Now, those of you who've just had babies and uh, those of you who know what it's like in this, you you know what it's like. You don't say, right, I'm going to read this book on parenting And then I'm going to do this and get this kind of milk and do this kind of thing. And then my child is going to go to bed at 8 o'clock and sleep all the way through till 9 in the morning. Right from the beginning. No hassle. No trouble. 
you know that that is not the case and that the child hasn't the uh, ability or nous or desire to say, well, I'm hungry, but my mum's sleeping, so I'll just leave her alone just now. That's not what happens. Uh, I want food, cry now. And it's very, you know, explicit here that can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Just imagine the picture. You're, being, you're feeding your baby and you say, oh, I've forgotten my baby. That, that, that just doesn't happen. There's um, a film we went to see last night called The Room, which um, uh, it's not as depressing as I thought it might be, but it's basically the story, a uh, true story actually of a girl who was kidnapped and put in a shed and locked in this guy's shed um, who, of course, he abused her and so on. But she was never allowed out of the shed. I think it was in there for six or seven years and she had a baby, a boy. And that boy grew up for his first six, seven years in life not knowing anything outside the shed except television showed him things that were out there. And it's just a fascinating film. If you can imagine you know, growing up in those circumstances. But one of the things that was very interesting was when they got out, of course, all the psychological damage and the film goes into that a little bit. I understand the book goes into a lot more. But at one point, the child, after they've got out, says, I'd like to be back in the room. Why? Because mom was always with me. And out in the big wide world, mom is not always with me. Well, and there's one incident in the film, and I don't want to do a plot spoiler for you, but um, where the mother attempts suicide because she's in such despair. And the child says to her when she recovers, don't, never do that again. Basically saying, have you forgotten me? It's an extraordinary thing, but sometimes a mother can forget. That's the point of what's being said here. A mother can forget the baby at her breast. It's very unusual. But it can happen. And what's being said here is God is so much greater. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And he uses another image. And the image is of a, a tattooist. Now, the tattoo was forbidden in Israel. But there was a kind of engraving, and I think this is being hinted at here. The names of the tribes of Israel were engraved on the precious stones of the high priest's ephod, of his garment. And it was to symbolize that God would never forget his people. It's like, um, I think here the image changes a little bit from the mother to the father who's very, very proud of his daughter. And... Uh, there's these hands that are held out, the images of hands held out for inspection. Can I forget you, says God? How can I forget you? Because I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Uh, maybe a plan of the city. Whatever it is, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Now, those of us who are Christians... When we go through periods of great despair or discouragement or depression or darkness and the devil comes and says to us, God's forgotten you. Of course he's forgotten you. Why should he bother with you? Do you know what your plea is? Your plea is never, no, he hasn't because I've done this and I've done that. Or no, he hasn't because I've experienced this or I've experienced that. Your only plea ever is the greatest plea that wipes away everything that the devil will throw at you. 
You just simply say, my name is written in his hand. How can Christ forget his people? How can Christ forget you? He carries the marks of his love for you forever, for all eternity. He can't forget you. He's also the architect. He thinks about his plans for them day and night. The walls, he remembers the broken down walls. Psalm 74 Turn your steps towards these everlasting ruins. All this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. Psalm 102, you will arise and have compassion on Zion for it's time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come for her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. There are plans here that God has. And I don't think that what's being referred to is so much the ruins as the plans for renewal, the new blueprint, if you like. Again, Calvin, in a word, the prophet here describes to us the inconceivable carefulness with which God unceasingly watches over our salvation, that we may be fully convinced that he will never forsake us, though we may be afflicted with great and numerous calamities. You have got to grasp that. If you want to grow as a Christian, And if you want to experience the blessing and the knowledge and the depth of God, you have got to realize that when you go through the hardest times, that's God has not forsaken you. He's not forgotten you. Because, he goes on to say, really, the best is yet to be. Your sons hasten back and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your sons gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. There are two events that are described in the two bits we're just going to look at to, to finish. God will not rest until his people are decked out like a bride. And the clothing, if you like, is their children. Zion is left desolate, absolutely desolate, but she will be glorious. The church can look weak and ugly at times, but this is the most glorious necklace on the church. The hymn that says, glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God, he whose word cannot be broken, formed her for his own abode. I despair sometimes, I'll be honest. I look at the state of the church, and what I see, I say, and what I say, people go, oh, don't be such a doom and gloom. And do you know this? I only see a little bit. I only see a little bit. And it's absolutely, absolutely heartbreaking. And there's a temptation first not to see or to have a wrong picture of the church. Or the temptation is when you begin to see and you see some of the ugliness to despair. To give up. Because you realize it's way beyond anything that you or I can do to reform or to renew or to revive. And then God says, wait a minute. My church is the bride. It's the bride. And we decked out like a bride. The the word sons here is a word that can also be used for builders. And it's back to the architect thing. And God's saying, I'm going to build my church. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's interesting. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. We're in the family business. We're building the walls of Zion. We are the church and we build the church. 
And God promises because he says, it's an oath as surely as I live. That's why belief in the God of the Bible and belief in the God who is, is the most important aspect you will ever have in your life because if you get that right, the rest follows from it. But there's another picture. Verse 19, though you were ruined and made desolate and your land laid waste, now you'll be too small for your people and those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, this place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. The image here is of a, a, a happy mother with her children around her. It's like the ultimate family gathering. A fantastic number of people. The deserted city is now overcrowded. And that's a theme that runs through the whole Bible. Abraham, with no children, age 90 plus, being promised that your children will be like the sand on the seashore. I just didn't look like it. And then here... God's people being captured and taken away, and the, the destroyers coming. Though you were ruined and made waste your land, you'll be too small. Those who devoured you will be far away. Those who attacked you, those who came and, and to get you, they'll be far away. It's a great picture of God's love for his people and God's tireless commitment to their welfare. I mean, all these pictures here, they're massive. The dependent mother given a fresh, joyful start like a bride. The empty city filled and free from threat. And these new inhabitants come with such a positive attitude. Look at this. Then you'll say in your heart, who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? Now, I want to apply this in two ways in terms of church collectively and also you as an individual. I was bereaved and barren, doubly infertile. Husband left me and I could bear no children. I was a captive and I was rejected. Isaiah 54 says this, single barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You, were ne you who were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. That is, is quoted by Paul in the Galatians passage I mentioned in Galatians 4. And it's such a contradictory statement. It's such a ludicrous statement. Because in Israel at that time, as in most cultures, to be able to have children wasn't a burden. It was just such a fantastic joy. I hope Callum and Naomi don't mind me saying this, but um, when we met with the, saw you, them yesterday, uh, how are you getting on? Happiest week of our lives. That's the attitude. Now, that's wonderful. That's absolutely fantastic. And I know that there are people who say, well, I haven't got any children. Or I'm not able to have children. And yes, of course, that's a, a sorrow for many people. But in, in this culture, to be able to have children, that was just such a great thing. It's not denigrating woman, a woman to say, oh, she's a mother. What do you do? Oh, I'm just a mother. If any of you say that, you deserve to be really given a ticket off and brought before the Kirk session. What do you mean, just a mother? How can you be greater than that? How dare you take your identity from your work when there's no greater work than being a mother or a father, actually, in that sense? But here, it's saying, you're barren, sing. You're left by your husband, rejoice. Why? 
Again, this is back to the really. God has blessed you. Really? Sing? Really? Why? Because God brings an incredible blessing beyond even that of childhood, children, to his people. He says in our heart, where did these children come from? I never knew I had them. I mean, imagine that. You know, you, most of us know, how can a mother forget? And what's being said here is, uh, you forgot you had these ones? She didn't realize she had them. She thought she was barren and bereaved. She did not think that the promises of God would come to a fulfillment. Where have they come from? Do you know this? I honestly, sometimes I look out, and it's not that I'm ignorant of basic biology, but I look out at the children in this church and go, where did they come from? Or I look at you and say, where did they come from? Because I remember being in this place with a handful of people. And it seemed ludicrous to think that there would ever be more than 50 people. That seemed a far off distant dream. Where did he come from? God has been at work. Is not God able to raise out of these stones children for Abraham? And I look at the state of the church in this city, and I look at the state of the church in Scotland, and I see the decline, and it's incredible. And I look at all the church responses, the strategies and the the mission profiles and everything that we're going to do and the organizations. And I go, no, no, it's pathetic. It's nowhere near enough. Cannot God raise up? I was in Baldragan School this week and it was a traumatic experience. Talked to four classes. Took me four hours and I went home and I'm still recovering in recovery mode. I tell you this, if any of you are teachers, I, I, you're, you're superheroes as far as I'm concerned. That was just extraordinary. And I'll tell you about one class. 20, 14, 15-year-olds in a room, sitting in groups of four, headphones on, playing on their iPhones while I was trying to teach them. I tell them to put them away. They tell me where to go. The teacher sits there as the children yell and swear, get up, walk out, abuse, mock. She told me beforehand, you might be able to get 15 minutes worth out of them in a 50-minute period. It was, if you ever remember seeing Grange Hill, it was Grange Hill on steroids in a Scottish version. It was just, I was thinking, and then honestly, I, I was really upset, not because they were abusing me, Because I was thinking, these kids, what chance have they got? They're not going to learn anything. And I asked them, I explained to them what an atheist was, and I explained to them what an agnostic was, and I explained to them what a theist was, and I explained to them what a Christian was. Any of you here theist? One girl bravely put up her hand but said, no way am I a Christian. How many of you are agnostic? About four or five. How many of you are atheist? Fifteen. And you know this? They came up with every single argument that's on the internet that Dawkins and Cole put, and and this, they were swearing, they were yelling, they were abusive, and I felt so sorry for them because they didn't know anything different. And I'm going, oh Lord, what are we going to do here? We're faffing around with so many different things. Cannot God raise up? Who knows whether God will work even in that class that I was in. We saw about the Collegio San Andres. Well, we really need to think about that. We need to think about what we're doing in reaching people. Let me, 
I won't go any further than that. Just There's a whole bunch of ideas in there. But why did the church feel barren and bereaved? Well, because she turned away from God. And yet God continues to work. Just think of so many historical examples. I'll mention a couple. One is Martin Luther. Church in Europe's in a mess. The Roman Catholic Church was just in a total mess. And God raised up a monk from within that church. And what an extraordinary things were done through that monk. In Scotland, the church was corrupt as well. And God raised up a young man called Patrick Hamilton. You go over to St. Andrews, you can see where he was martyred, killed for the faith, age 24. And yet the reek of Patrick Hamilton, uh, as it was said, blew over the whole of Scotland. George Wishart, here in Dundee, you can go to the Wishart Arch where, where Wishart stood on the arch and he preached to the people out with the city and he preached to the people in the city who had plague and then he got off the arch and he came into the city to the people with plague and had such an impact that Dundee became known as the Geneva of the North. And McShane, who came here to this part of the town, which believe it or not was the poorest area of town, it was the industrial wasteland all around here. And he preached his heart out and lived for Jesus for seven years before he died, age 29. God still had his people, and God is able to change. And I look at the situation of the church in Scotland, and you just go, Lord, have mercy upon Zion. Have mercy upon your people. We're being ripped apart. We're being shredded, and and the church is just so pathetic in its response. And the Lord says, I I will build my church. That's you. Be faithful to me. I will build my church. And you know, I was thinking about this this week and going on the bus or walking or cycling or whatever, and just seeing all the people, all the lonely people, all the godless people, all the broken people, and God can raise his church out of these people. We as his people need to be supremely confident about that. And then let me finish by saying something to us as individuals. Because I think it's right for us to have a burden for God's church and for the glory of God in this land and indeed his church throughout the world. I think it's right for us to care. It's right for us to pray and so on. But sometimes we're so caught up with stuff within ourselves because we are part of that church and, and we are struggling individually. And I want to leave you with this from um, John L. Mackay in talking about this because I thought this, I thought this was just wonderful. A sense of forsakenness often overwhelms the faithful as pressing circumstances make God seem distant from their lives and concerns. How many of you got up this morning and said, I'm going to church, hallelujah, and how many of you felt the presence of God, and how many of you will go to work tomorrow, or whatever you do, and you will feel that? And many will say, you know this, I've got so much happening, so much illness, so much brokenness, so much destruction, and I I just, I'm, I'm worn, I feel far away from God really, we say? And God says, yeah, the reality is otherwise. Here's the reality. It is in such times of affliction and perplexity that God uses to display his love and power. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard and saved him out of all his troubles. When we were looking at the Beatitudes last week, 
We said that the first one, the poor in spirit, is the key because you're only filled if you're empty. And it's such an important thing for us to grasp. I have this double vision, if you like. There's a vision which I would call a kind of short-sightedness in which I look and I see the trouble and I see the heartbreak and I see the sin and I see the destruction and I see the church in such a mess and I see the confusion and I see everything. I look in a mirror and I see myself. I see my own heart. And you just want to shrivel up and say, Lord, just, just take me away. And then the Lord says, wait a minute. There's a longer vision. Have a look. And you see the bride in her glory. You see the promise that the children will come from every single land. You see the, the, the beauty and the glory and the magnificence of Jesus Christ. And when you see that, your troubles seem light and momentary. But when you're short-sighted, Sinclair often uses this, hasn't he often used this illustration about you've got a penny and there's a penny in the distance. It doesn't mean anything, but when the penny's right in your eye, it blocks everything. We need a greater vision of the glory and beauty of Christ. Ada, when she is baptized, her parents, David and Lizzie, are saying she's part of the covenant community. They are not saying she'll be immune from every single bit of harm. But what we're saying is simply this, that the Lord takes care of and provides for his people. If you don't belong to the people of God, you need to. You need to come and know and find Jesus because you're in a storm. And if you're, you're, you're on the waves, if you like, and you haven't got a ship that will keep you afloat. But if you know Jesus and if you belong to his people, then you'll still be in the storm. But your anchor will hold and you will see God's blessing and God's glory even in this world. We just go back to the, that simple thing. You know how you're, um, let's say, you're a young person here, you're going out with somebody, and you decide, this is the one for me. How do I prove it? Well, give them your last rollo is what I would advise. But how do you prove it? Some people say, I'm going to get a tattoo. You know, now if you're a person who keeps having relationships that break down, you don't want to do that because you're going to end up with a very weird body, but say, I'll get a tattoo, you know, so-and-so heart, so-and-so. Well, what God has done is he's just engraved you on his hands, and you can't, he can't forget you. It's just the most wonderful, precious, and glorious truth that your Father in heaven will never let you go the mother who gave you spiritual birth will never, ever forget you. Please remember that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless it to us. Help us to apply it to ourselves and watch over us in your name. Amen. Let's sing um, as uh, Will's going to come up and do the baptism and I ask the family to come forward. Maybe, uh, Dave, could you go out and ask the Sunday school folks to come in or Chris, actually, or you're playing. <laughs> Yeah, you can. Dave will do that. Sunday school folks, come back in. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Let's stand and sing this, and then we'll, we'll uh, do the baptism before we finish with another song.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.